0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay. There we go. That's better. <laughs> Good morning to everyone. It's wonderful to see so many people here. So... um, this morning, what I would like to talk about is uh, inhabiting our lives. How do we inhabit our lives? How do you inhabit your life? Does that have any meaning for you? And, and I'm going to begin by reading a poem by Jane Hir- Hirschfield. This is uh, her new book called The Asking. And um, this poem may sound a little abstract to begin with, so just just sort of get the feeling of the poem. Don't worry about it too much. I would like my living to inhabit me, the way the rain, sun, and their wanting inhabit a fig or an apple. I would like to meet my life also in pieces scattered. A conversation set down on a long hallway table. A disappointment pocketed inside a jacket, some long-ago longing glimpsed, half-recognized in the corner of a thrift store painting. To discover my happiness, walking first toward me, then away from me, down a stairwell, on two strong legs, all its own. Also the uncountable wheat stalks, how many times broken, beaten, sent between grindstones before entering the marriage of oven and bread. Let me find my life in that, too. In my moments of clumsiness, solitude, in days of vertigo and hesitation, in the many year-ends that found me standing on top of a stovetop to take down a track light. In my nights asked, sometimes answered questions, I would like to add to my life, while we are still living, a little salt and butter One more slice of the edible apple, a teaspoon of jam from the long-simmered fig, to taste as if something tasted for the first time what we will have become then. To taste as if something tasted for the first time what we will have become then. Now, the title of this is, I Would Like... So, what this poem opened up for me was the idea that we sometimes get lost in practice and thinking it's something that we do that's separate from life. You know, well, I'm going to go practice now. I'm going to go meditate. I'm going to, met, I'm going to do metta. I'm going to do this practice. I'm going to do equanimity practice now. And we make it separate from what's going on. When it is in life, that practice really occurs. That it's not separate from life. And that the way to be free of suffering is to be free of suffering in life. Not when we're sitting on the cushion. Not that that's a bad idea, by the way. I'm happy to be free of suffering on the cushion. Thank you very much. But it is in inhabiting our lives that we really live our lives being present for what's happening and we talk about well I lost myself in that I lost my way you know I lost track of time as if we in fact lost something and maybe we did that piece of time occurred and will never occur again that snippet of our lives we just missed. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> That's into that one. Sometimes we engage in a, a, a deliberate mindless activity. In my 20s I wore out decks of cards playing solitaire because I just didn't want to look at what was going on in my life. <laughs> hours, hours spent playing solitaire. Now, you know, you can do that electronically. You don't have to wear out decks of cards anymore. But sometimes we do that. We just, life is too much. I'm just going to, I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to go do something that allows me not to be, not to think about it. So I want to make a clear distinction between inhabiting one's life and being controlled by thinking about one's life. Which are two entirely different things. And the suffering that arises from them are different. Sometimes it's just laziness, you know. Just I can't be bothered. Just can't be bothered. Can't be bothered with living. You know. Well, I think I'm just going to sleep this one off. Just going to sleep through the day because it's just I just don't I don't have the energy for it. Thank you. And we forget how delightful is the taste of that fig jam. Or I still have the taste in my mouth, just barely, of what I had for breakfast. And I'm going to tell you about what I had for breakfast later in one of my examples. It had chocolate in it. <laughs> Sometimes we're lost in anxiety, frustration, anger, the emotional storms of life. We're lost in them where the emotions take over. And that kind of loss is different. It's very intense. But we are lost. The part of us that's willing to be present for it is lost. Something takes over from us and we're not really registering it. It's, I can't help it. It's beyond me. Many are the ways that we abandon ourselves. We leave ourselves alone at the shopping center. (laughs) You know, bye kid, I'll be back later. We abandon ourselves. And yet one of the most common questions I get from people is, how do I bring mindfulness into my everyday life? Okay, so I've been meditating for a while. How do I bring it into my life? The most common question. Maybe after, what do I do about being angry? (laughs) And the answer is, you just pay attention. You just inhabit your life. So what does that mean? What does it mean? It's, it's, it's a puzzling question, so it reminded me, when I was thinking about this, it reminded me of another poem, and eventually I remembered that it was a Jane Hirschfield poem, once again, very short poem, called uh, Why Bodhisattva Went to Mer- Motel 6. So here it is. Where is your home, the interviewer asked him. Here. No, no, the interviewer said, thinking it a problem of translation, when you are where you actually live. Now it was his turn to think, translation problem? (laughs) You know, I read that a few times, and then I said, oh. (laughs) The monk was saying, I live here, wherever I am, I live here. And the translator and the interviewer was saying, you know, like, where do you live? As if living was where your home was, you know, physical domicile. But in fact, where you live is here. Where you live is right here, right now. In this moment, you live right here. This is the only place you can live is right here. You can't live anywhere else. Because here is where you are alive. And that's, that's the secret of bringing mindfulness into your everyday life. Is being aware of the fact that right here, right now is the only place where you are alive. It's the only place you exist. Everything else is concept. The problem is not so much about being mindful as it is just being aware. So I want to just remind you that mindfulness... Mindfulness starts with, you know, there's an object. Okay, here's the object. We know the object. And then there's the knowing that we know part. And that's the awareness. It's the registering of it. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I hit the microphone. So I know I'm sitting here. We all know that we're sitting here or walking. We're, we're here we know this, but it isn't until I feel myself on this cushion, this nice soft cushion, that I am aware of sitting. It's the knowing, it's the registering, it's the keeping, oh yeah, yeah, that happened. And to get into the habit of registering what's happening with you, let me check this, getting into the habit of actually registering what's going on with you is the becoming aware of being alive in this moment. That part. It's that part that you want to cultivate. And that's what we're not used to doing. We're just sort of kind of floating through life. You know, I know this is happening, I'm driving. But it's the noticing something It's understanding that practice is not distinct from our lives. It is our lives. It's actually kind of hard to talk about this because when I first started meditating, I remember early on, maybe I'd been meditating for a few months, and I said, I went to Gil and I said, you know, what I'm noticing is I'm inhabiting more of my life. But even then, I did not know the extent to which that could be true. After many years, I don't think so much about being mindful. I just am mindful. It's not so much a practice of mindfulness. It's, it's just being aware. I'm, I'm, oh, this is what's happening, this is what's happening, this is what's happening, this is what's happening. It, it, and it, it doesn't take thinking about it That's the point. It doesn't take thinking about it as a practice. It becomes a habit of being. Like my noticing as I was talking that chocolate was in my mouth still. That little faint amount of chocolate was in my mouth. Another way of talking about it is being present for what is true. Okay, so this is a an act of getting it out of our head. So often when we're talking about it, we'll say, get into your body, and notice that the information is coming to you through your senses, eyes, taste, hearing, feeling, smelling. This is how we're getting the information about what's going on in this moment. And all of that is true. But if we think about it in a way that doesn't require us to think about it, but just our way into the moment, perhaps using a presence as a word, not as a noun, but as a dynamic, um, flowing sense of, I'm here in this moment, then we might notice, we might be aware of something in this moment that we aren't otherwise aware of, because we're not consciously thinking, okay, now I'm going to listen so I know what I hear in this moment, or I'm going to look and and really see what I'm seeing in this moment, but but we're kind of open, so it's a way of doing open awareness to just consider presence in this moment. What does it mean to be present in this moment? What do I understand by that? (laughs) I understand by presence in this moment, and don't worry about an answer. <laughs> Keep an open—it's an open question because the idea is, in fact, just to be open to what am what am I, what am I taking in that I'm not thinking about taking in? Because you are—you know—the the conditions of this moment you are not in control of. You decided what you were going to wear today. You decided to come here today. You transported yourself here today. You're here. You chose your place in the room. You didn't choose an infinite number of other things. Last night, I chose what I was going to wear. This morning, I wore something entirely different because that just... Last night it was all black and I said, no, I don't want to wear all black today because the conditions changed. Conditions are changing all the time. So we can't predict, so how can we decide ahead of time, here's what I'm going to be aware of. It's just wasted energy, more things to think about. So what am I aware of when I'm not thinking about what I'm aware of? What do I just feel in the air? I like to to consider what the energy field is that I feel. And when I first asked myself that question, I said, energy field, what the hell am I talking about? <laughs> and so I just sat and, and decided how much space it felt like my body was occupying. You know, what am I aware of? So I was sitting here, and one of the things that's true when you sit and meditate with people is there is a different feeling when you meditate alone and when you meditate in a group. I'm sure most of you have felt that. It just feels different. There's something different that happens when you sit in a group. And uh, I just went on a... uh, It's been a few months now. September I went on a three-week retreat. And as it happens... mm, Because of conditions that were not planned, I was sitting in the front row. And so I was sitting right in front of the teacher's dais, and Gil was sitting there. And I could tell when Gil was in the room and when he was not in the room, because he has such a great ability to just sink into concentration. It was delightful to sit with him, (laughs) just delightful because I could feel that energy not because I was looking for it. But, oh. And so that came to mind this morning as I was sitting here in the room with all of you. And I, I there was there was like a pressure coming toward me. And I went, "Wow." <laughs> wow. <laughs> Almost like I was basking in the Energy coming from the room. It wasn't that I was looking for that. It was just as I left myself open to the energy, as I was concentrating on my breath, and then I said, "So, if I don't stop at the skin, what do I feel?" And, and It was like a blast furnace. <laughs> Well, that's delightful. That was there all along, but I was not aware of it. So, there are many things that you can be aware of if you are open to being aware of them. And that's why I say it becomes just a habit of presence, of just being here and not off in your head that becomes more prevalent as you allow it to be so. Now, tied up with this is the intention. Tied up with the presence of inhabiting your life is the intention. So, somebody said to me the other day that they felt... That uh, they had a uh, something that they enjoyed doing, and they would become so absorbed in it, they would lose themselves in it for hours, and they would didn't even know uh, what had happened, what had transpired, and they had a product at the end, and that was delightful. But but they felt that they had to develop by, to develop her spiritual life. She had to give that up. She had to give that practice up, whatever it was. And um, that may be true. But what struck me is that it would be very ha- very sad to develop a spiritual practice independent of what made your heart sing. And that the, the idea that you lose yourself in something means that it is detrimental to your spiritual practice somehow just... Is what set me off thinking about this. How do we inhabit our lives? Doing what we're doing, being who we are, and not becoming something else. In order to be a spiritual person, I have to not be me. It just doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. Because the other part of awareness is the only person you can be in this moment is you, you can't be someone else. The other part of being alive is the only person who can be alive for you is you. You can't be the ideal you. You can only be you. So give that up. Meet this moment with you. The you that is here. So the intention You might say, well, I want to be more mindful in life. I want to be more spiritual in life. Be very careful about that intention. Being more mindful is not the final intention. Being more mindful is on its way to something else that you really want. (laughs) So ask yourself, as soon as you come up with an intention... Where is this leaning? Where is this leading? What is it that I'm truly yearning toward? You know, for years my intention in life was to be open-hearted. Because when I began this practice I was pretty much (coughs) steel-trap, closed off. And, And then... I got to the point where I realized to be open-hearted, I had to just be open. That was pretty scary. Be open. Be open. That felt very vulnerable. And eventually I got to the point where I heard the be part. My intention is to be. Wow. That was much more freeing in the end much more freeing. Sometimes just listening to your own intentions opens up for you what it is you're truly wanting, what it is you're truly leaning toward. And that, seeing clearly what is the intention of my life, what is the intention, why am I doing this practice? I'm doing this practice so I can be at peace. Huh. Now, every time I sit down and I have a, a meditation center where, session where I'm restless, it's not working. But that's not actually true. Because somewhere in that I want to be at peace is... How can I introduce ease into my life? And being able to sit with irritation and restlessness and say, ah, restlessness is here, is how to come to a place of ease whether you are agitated, restful, peaceful, concerned, anxious. Ah, anxious is here, anxious, look at that, so that you can see things rising and passing and not get hooked by them. So now I'm going to tell you about the chocolate. So I decided, uh, I don't know, a week ago on a whim, I was going through, we were planning, last night we had our family gift exchange celebration because our close family, our daughter and, and Grandchildren are leaving town for 3 weeks going to New Zealand so we decided to have our celebration last night and as I was going through the cookbook I found a recipe for chocolate babka now this is a um, a really wonderful uh, bread in the Jewish tradition it comes, it's a, it's a kala that has uh, chocolate in it and the the you you make the dough and then you roll it out, and it has a, a layer of chocolate that you put in it, or you can put cinnamon, or there's all kinds of things you can put in it. And then you roll it up, and you slice it down the middle so that the all the filling then shows on the outside, and then you braid it and bake it. Okay, It's very elaborate, lots of steps. I had some of this last summer that I bought at a Jewish bakery, and I loved it, and I've been looking for it. And there was a recipe. And so somebody who's never made bread decided she was going to make this. So I did. <laughs> and so in the process of doing this, uh, I learned all kinds of things about what you should and should not do. And I looked at uh, on the internet, watched people make it, you know, and said, oh yeah, I could do this, I could do this. Well, I'm going to skip all the beginning stuff and get to the part where I was the rolling out the cold dough, and, and it, they all of the recipes give you two loaves, and the reason they do that is it's a lot of work. If you're going to do it, make at least two. That's the explanation I saw. But the, all the recipes call for two loaves. Now it turns out this is fortuitous because you know I learned on the first one, and then I could do the second one. <laughs> so as I was rolling out this cold dough. Uh, one characteristic of the dough is it's ma- it has eggs in it, so it's a very rich dough, and it's very elastic. You know, you don't think about rolling out bread dough anyway. Pie dough, that I'm familiar with, but bread dough. So there I was rolling it on my piece of uh, parchment paper. Second one, I did not use parchment paper. <laughs> it, it was twisting, and, and, and so... I was aware of, oh, this is never going to work, I don't know what I'm doing, why is that happening that way, I was thinking about, am I going to get this done in time, now I was also trying to get this stage done and get it so it was rising because I had a practice discussion group an hour later, okay, so I had this hard deadline, I had to get on Zoom and i <laughs> I was doing this. Oh, am I going to get done on time? So, you know, just add a little t- tension. So I was watching all of these thoughts coming and going, but I didn't grab onto any of them. I didn't say, I didn't spend the rest of my time thinking about all the things I'd tried to do that were ill advised. It's just I watched the thoughts coming and going. And I watched when, oh, that's, oh, I can see now that's the way you do that. I watched Little Pieces of Satisfaction. I got the first one done. You know, it was yeah, little, kind of looked like what it was supposed to look like. <laughs> the second one, I pull it out. Whew, whipped through that. Took about a third of the time to do the same thing. Looked beautiful. Because I'd learned so much the first time. So it isn't about not learning from the past. You can learn from what you do. But you don't need to drag any of the extra stuff with you. You don't have to... Well, I have did th- I did this wrong before, and I know what to expect, and this is going to be a failure because this happened before. It's just... Every moment is fresh. And there was a the moment when I looked at the piece that I'd rolled out and said, Whoa, that actually looks like the picture. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> and there's just a the moment of... huh but only a moment, because you also don't spend a lot of time gloating, because, you know, the moment has changed already, and now it's time to find out whether the next step, you know, what happens in the next step. There's a lot of freshness to just, just being here for what's happening, just, just here, just, just here. And uncertainty, you know, there, there, there's there's uncertainty. There's uncertainty. Okay. At one point, I remember thinking, you know, there's I'm doing this because it's supposed to be fun. I thought it would be fun. You know, am I having fun? I asked myself, Am I having fun? And I could I could say, Yeah, I'm having fun, even even in the frustrating times when it looked like, you know, I have to cut the dough over here and patch it over there, (laughs) which is usually a mistake. It was fun to be doing something new that I wasn't particularly good at, that I didn't have to be good at, that it didn't have anything to do with being me. I didn't have to be a master baker. I didn't have to be anything but somebody playing with the dough somebody doing something somebody doing something and being aware of the smell of the chocolate and the feel of the rolling pin and the just just this and because you know all the ingredients were luscious and things I don't normally grant myself it was going to be good no matter how, what it was <laughs> It was going to be, by definition, unless I burnt it, what's going to be good. So I didn't worry about the outcomes, just this, just, just. And it was fun. Not always pleasing. I wasn't always happy. The fun part was in being there, being very alive, making. Just alive, just really there. And one moment after the next. You know, you may often have heard a teacher talk about keep your mindfulness continuous. It isn't continually find something to, to be mindful of, not continually look for objects to be mindful of, or or to carry this object with you, although it can be. The continuous part is to never ge- give up being present. Don't give up being present. And when you find you've lost, at the very moment that you notice you've been lost is when you were here. Be really happy about that. That's the very moment when you're for sure here. You're in this moment. You can notice judging. I'm judging, I'm judging. Okay, judging. So, you don't have to hold on to the judgment. You don't have to say, this is good, this is bad. You don't have to create more levels of anxiety for yourself by judging yourself about oh how can i be angry i should have been over being angry by now i found myself when uh, for for 2 days last week wanting a sweater that was on a flash sale for 2 days i wanted that sale I wanted that sweater. I don't have a blue sweater. I really want that. I just watched the wanting for two days. (laughs) I put it in the cart. I had it all ready to go, but no, I'm not going to do it. I argued with myself. I carried that sweater around with me for two days and just watched that wanting. And then I let the time expire. I couldn't quite tell myself... To make the decision, I just am not going to do it. Uh, so I didn't quite renounce it. But I had a lot of experience wanting my, watching myself want. This is what wanting is. Wanting, 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 wanting. And seeing how it felt. Watching some t- when I'm close to grabbing and when I'm back. So you might argue, I see wanting, I cut out wanting, it's all over. That's one way to look at it. But another way to look at it is to see wanting and to know that I can survive wanting and that I can be at ease with wanting without condemning myself and adding more layers of suffering to wanting. I can just want and I can let it go. And now, as I have more times in the past, (laughs) I know what it's like to want and let it go, and I can open the refrigerator and see the ice cream and let it go. (laughs) I can want the ice cream, and no, I don't have to eat it, and I don't have to be the person who cannot resist wanting. Sometimes I don't resist, sometimes I do resist, but I understand more about how my mind works around wanting because I was present for wanting. Another aspect of being present is to be present not only for what's going on inside us, to be present also for what's going on outside of us that is impacting us, those other conditions that we don't necessarily, that we certainly don't have any control over. So one of those might be the people in our lives that we notice that person is particularly irritable today. (laughs) So I'm going to avoid that person, or I'm going to make space for that person, or I am going to be particularly... forgiving of that person's irritability today, or if I don't think I can do that, I'm going to not be there today. We might manage our relationships with someone by being aware of how they are, not blaming, but accommodating. My way of being present in this moment is to be aware also that you have an existence in this moment. You have a way that you are in this moment. Not blaming, not judging. This is how you are in this moment. And just as I allow myself to be a certain way in this moment, however it is, I need to allow you to be as you are in this moment also. And how difficult that can be. Or even further afield, there was a um, there was there. There's a person who is the minister of culture for the Palestinian Authority, lives in Ramallah, and on day two of the recent war, he was happened to be in Gaza, and he wrote a diary entry that was published in the Washington Post, and I read it. And he talked about what it was like to be there. He was visiting his father and his mother-in-law. And uh, he was there with his family. And his his wife left immediately, but his son, his 15-year-old son, he decided to stay. The minister decided to stay with his father. And his 15-year-old son decided to stay with him. And... Uh, It was a very moving account of what was going on, and they were staying in a particular camp, which was, in subsequent days, heavily bombed. And my feeling about that was I kept thinking about this person and his son and saying, oh my God, that's being bombed. What's happened to them? They didn't have to be there. They were. They." they they belonged somewhere else. And and it was interesting to me that I had somehow made a personal connection with this person because I, I knew something about them having read this, this account. And uh, one day last week, I think, when they were doing the prisoner exchange or hostage exchange, there was another account written he wrote about he... That his trip with his son as they left, they decided to leave. And as I read that account about their leaving, I realized I was crying in relief, <laughs> in relief, because I had been so tense hoping that he made his way home. This person I didn't even know. That condition existed in my life for those two or three weeks, I can't even tell you how long that has been. That condition was impacting me all of that time. But I was not particularly aware of it until I read the second account. I had thought about it, and I was aware when I thought about this person and, and wished for his safety and his son's safety. So I knew that it was impacting me at some point. But it was only in reading the second account that I realized how deeply affected I was by that. And how how relieved and how grateful I was to know that this person was alive. This person, you know, not... not a nationality, not an ethnicity, not a political position person, but a person, a specific person that I don't even know. We are impacted by so many things, and it is really useful to our understandings of what it means to inhabit our lives, to sometimes inquire, how am I being impacted by what I don't even know? who I don't even know. And just occasionally say, sometimes it's in a joyful way that we're being impacted and we don't know. Particularly because we're not used to looking for that. (laughs) Particularly. The person on the corner that is always smiling how much we miss them when they're suddenly one day not there. So be aware of someone who smiles. Don't let it, don't let it not be noticed. You know, one morning last week I was, got up, I was making my coffee, I looked out and there was a blue sky and kind of, puffy clouds and the sea and there was the fresh green grass out and the, and it, it, it said to me like the the pictures you grow, draw in first grade you know of a, of a sunny scene and then I, I but I went on to make my coffee and I thought no look at it register it go ahead and register it because that's the awareness part register. So I looked at it. Yeah, it is pretty. And then I made my copy. It isn't that it becomes something else. It's not like like adopting another practice. It's just allow yourself to register what's going on in front of you. Register the color that attracts your attention. Register the sound that you hear. Ah, inhabit your life. It gives you freedom from being who you used to be, from having to be who you have been. It gives you the freedom to be just who you are right now. Right now. To taste as if something tasted for the first time what we will have become then. What we will have become then. This is what I hope for you in your lives. Thank you very much. So I didn't leave much time for questions, so if you have anything to say, I'll be around for a while. Thank you.